Well, you can see on the screen that the title for the sermon today is Preaching Through the Upper Room Discourse. After much prayer, my plan is to take a significant amount of time to sit at the feet of Jesus and consider together his his upper room discourse to us. It's found in John 13 through 17. It is such a rich passage of Holy Scripture that numerous ministers and scholars alike have referred to it as the holy of the holies of the Bible. And I really can't wait to get to it next Sunday. The reason I put it in that manner is because you will notice that the title of the sermon is actually Preaching the Upper Room Discourse. And I've had the word preaching capitalized because we give so very much time to it. We've been thinking about the essentials of our church, stopping briefly to consider the Advent season. But in addition to worship and mission and witness and fellowship and community and so on, there is this essential of us being a people of the book, a people who hear it taught and proclaimed or preached. For this reason, I would like to take us through some verses found in the eighth chapter of the book of Nehemiah. While the New Testament powerfully and effectually tells us to preach the word, which means and listen to the word preached, Nehemiah gives us a clear understanding of what proclaiming the word of God to a people should look and sound like. I would like to begin by reading Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, excuse me, through verses 1 through 12. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the word of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood, and the following verse contains 13 very difficult names to pronounce. <laughs> so you go figure it out. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book, all the people could see him because he was standing above them, and he opened it, and the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. 
Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces on the ground. The Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people were went away and were to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. At first response, the people were weeping and grieving because they had heard expressed through the preaching of the word what was true about their own godless lifestyle, their own God-displeasing way of life. But the narrative ends with joy. How many of you knew that that most famous of all statements in Holy Scripture, I suspect for many, the joy of the Lord is your strength, is found as the response to a sermon that lasted all day long. It is where the praise begins when we have responded appropriately to the Lord. And so today our theme is on preaching and the necessity of it since we give so much time each Sunday, Sunday after Sunday, decade after decade. Why does preaching matter? To start with, we discover that this narrative here in Nehemiah 8 begins with a cry for the Word of God. In verse 1 we read, All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought out the book. He brought out the law before the assembly. And the assembly consisted of men and women and those young people who could understand the proclamation of the word of the living God. And the, and the outcome is, is that when Ezra preaches the word of God and the people come under the conviction of the truth of God and they weep over their sinfulness that they are comforted by those who exhorted the scriptures and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
This is nothing less than what we sometimes called a revival, an awakening unto God himself. For these people knew they needed to hear the word of God. There were some 40,000 plus people in the square near the water gate. They came for one purpose and they came as one people in one place to hear the word of God. The verse actually says all the people came as one. They wanted to hear the truth of God, the word of God, the awakening power of God himself in operation through the preached word. And the first thing they said was, Ezra, bring out the book. It is crucial that they asked for Ezra. For in the prior 14 years after returning from the Babylonian captivity, Ezra had been the preacher and the expositor of the word for 14 years. And if you read the book of Ezra, six times in that book, we are told that the hand of God was on Ezra. That the hand of the Lord was mighty upon Ezra, the priest. It's a way of saying that the hand of God, the blessing of God, and the power of God, and the encouragement of God was upon this particular expositor of Holy Scripture. And the reason is because he was devoted to God. In Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, we read, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord, to teach its decrees and laws in Israel. Here was a man of God who dug deep into the word of God, the scriptures, the law given by Moses. And he worked it into his soul that it became his convictions. And then it says there to observe the law. Other versions read, to do what it says, to obey it. So far as his personal life was concerned, Ezra was a diligent and devoted student who wanted to live the Word of God so that he could also teach the Word of God faithfully. They knew this much about him, so they say, Ezra, bring out the book. But they also said, Ezra, bring out the book. Don't come giving us your opinions. Don't come bringing us sermons that are merely based on the Word of God. You ever seen a movie? It starts as a frame that says, this story is based on true events. It's not good enough when it comes to the heralding of the Word of God. You must see the thoughts and the ideas of Ezra or any other person that preaches or teaches are buried in the text of Scripture. Ezra. Bring out the books. It was a desperate call. And did you know something else? You might miss it if you don't know about the Jewish calendar. But it was the first day of their new year. Why the verse says on, in the seventh month, on the first day. And in those days, that was the beginning of the new year on the Jewish calendar. You can look it up. It's close to the same practice even today. It's as though the people are saying, as we enter into a new year, we are aware, we are aware that we are not living Godward lives. 
We are not living lives shaped by God's word. As we go into this new year, let us cry desperately. Get us into the Bible. Bring the word of God to us. This is the setting of the preaching ministry of Ezra in this book. Get us into the Bible. That should be our desperate cry to God. And if we look at this passage, I think we can see two things about preaching and two things about listening to the word of God. And here is the first, preaching must be saturated with God's word. Let's read some verses again. Verses two and three. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened intently with great attention to the reading of the word of God. Verse 5. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Then in verse 7 and 8, then in verse 8, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. And finally in verse 12, then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. I read all of those verses to drive home the crucial point that when Ezra stood up to preach, the only thing he had to preach was the word of God, not the opinions of the people or a single person. He kept reading the scriptures to these people. He kept quoting the scriptures, saying the exact words of scripture, keeping scripture in their ear. You could say it like this with his long sermon and the various sermons from the Levites. They start in scripture and they stay with the scriptures and they never separate from Holy Scripture. And so for a full day, it was a Scripture-soaked proclamation of the Word. Let me use what I think is a helpful metaphor. This biblically saturated preaching was preaching that bled the Word of God. Now, the reason I would use that, it bled the word of God. It oozed the scripture in its sermon is based on what Charles Spurgeon once said about John Bunyan. 
You may know that John Bunyan is the Puritan author writing in the 1600s who wrote, while in jail, The Pilgrim's Progress. It is a fascinating book that every high schooler ought to read. And it's about how this one named Christian was leaving his sin and the burden of it behind. And he was on a pilgrimage, on a journey to the celestial city. And he goes and he faces all the cruelty that believers face, all the temptations that believers face, all the fellowship and de delight that they face as well as they are on their way to heaven. Those who have read Pilgrim's Progress and know how saturated with the scripture it is. There have been those who've even said, you can, you can find a quote or an allusion to scripture in every line, and it's a rather large book. Well, thinking about that man and thinking about that book on one occasion, Charles Spurgeon said, John Bunyan is so fascinated with scripture that if you were to cut him, he would bleed biblime. He would bleed the Bible. When we preach our sermons, they ought to be like a sponge that is filled, that if you press upon it, it will ooze out the truth of sacred scripture. This is what Ezra and his fellow preachers did. They kept the words of scripture in the minds of people. And Charles Spurgeon added these words, if we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the Word of God. If we want conversions, we must put more of God's Word into our sermons. This brings us to the second point. Preaching must give listeners a clear understanding of the Word of God. I agree with those who say, and am sure it is right, that you will never find a better definition of what preaching is than what you read in Nehemiah 8, verse 8. It reads, They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood, understood what was being read. Did you hear the definition? They not only read the word of God, they made it clear. That's preaching. Other versions say they gave the sense of it. They clearly explained the meaning of it. They aimed in their preaching to make scripture clear. They read it. And they talked about it. They kept the words of Scripture clearly in the ears of the people while they explained its weightiness, its significance, and its beauty. Now, it is true that you need no preacher to understand the Word of God. You can understand the Word of God entirely on your own. You need no teacher to help you. You can sit down with the open word of God and read it, and you have the Holy Spirit as your teacher. 
and how we often ought to cry out and to pray to the Holy Spirit. Teach us your truth as we ponder it. But it is also true that both in the Old and the New Testament, the people of God are to gather in one place as one people united in faith in the Word of God and for one purpose. Let us listen together to the voice of God to us. Make it plain. Make it clear. Show its beauty. Show its weightiness. Show its relevance as we talk about the Word of God. Break it down into sizable chunks and explain it and apply it to our our lives. Make it clear. Show us how to live it. Walter Kaiser, an Old Testament scholar, reflecting on Nehemiah 8, writes, What a great formula for success to read it over and over and to explain and apply it. That's the formula. If only those who, if only those who teach and preach God's Word today would stick to the text of Scripture with the same degree of intensity and proceed throughout Scripture in the same orderly manner, we too would be able to experience a great revival from God. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Keep reading the actual words of Scripture. And when you explain it, just explain it clearly. And the people are to listen. That's all preaching is? Yep. A number of years ago, there was a minister in the city of Aberdeen. His name was William Still. And he was known to be, like Ezra, a godly and wise teacher. One day he was standing at the door of the church building where he served as pastor. As the people were leaving, one man shook his hand and said, Reverend Steele, don't ever call me Reverend, Reverend Steele, you don't preach. He was sort of surprised by that. And he asked the man, what do you mean? And the man, not complaining and with real sincerity, said, well, all you do is read the Bible and explain it. And William Steele looked at him and said, well, I think that's preaching. It really is that simple. It's taken me 20 minutes to say it. That's our job. To read the Bible and to say it and to quote it so people see where your thoughts and ideas and applications come from. And then to explain it in a matter that whether they are old or young, men or women, they can testify we understand the Word of God. But what about the listeners? Well, in this passage, we will see that preaching must be received. Preach the word, the Old Testament, the New Testament declares, which means listen to the word. In fact, the preachers there in Timothy are told, preach it in season and out of season. Preach it to people with itching ears who want to hear other things. Preach it to those 
who want to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But when Paul says to Timothy, young Timothy, to preach the word, it says before those words, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. He's putting weight on the command. I give you a solemn charge. No other charge like it. Preach the word. It must be the word, not something based on the word. And the people are to listen with eagerness, and they are to listen with humility. Where do we see eagerness? Again in verses 1 through 3. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and then some more history books, though not a completed Bible, for this is the Old Testament. But bring out the Bible you possess and bring it out on the first day of the new year. And they brought it out. Verse 3, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon, meaning we should stay here to 6 o'clock. Faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men and women and others who could understand. Now watch it. And the people listened attentively to the word. They didn't listen with apathy. I sometimes like to say it this way. They don't listen to it with a yawn of indifference. They are giving intense listening to it. They're listening with eagerness. In fact, to help make that word clear, if you look it up in a dictionary of the original language, it means to turn the ear toward. You ever seen a person bend over and turn their ear to so that they can listen carefully? They can listen intently. My sweet daughter has five children. And I remember seeing her one day when two of her babies were asleep. She picked up that monitor and put it to her ear listening intently, not wanting to miss, making sure there were no dangerous noises on the other end. When God speaks his word, I'm not talking about a matter of sound system. I'm talking about a heart that's just got to hear God in his word. It's not the preacher's words. It's the word of God. Because we know that book is powerful. I once heard a preacher friend of mine introduced to a congregation. And the person who was introducing him said, I can't wait to hear his sermon. He knows how to make the Bible come alive. And us preachers just cringe when we hear that. We understand the sentiment. He's pretty good at his his task. He, uh, he can bring relevant application to it. And just don't put it that way. No preacher, not even Ezra, can make the Bible come alive. 
Hear me well. God, the Holy Spirit, cannot make the Bible come alive. Because the Bible isn't dead. Its funeral has not been preached. For we read in Hebrews 4, verse 12, for the word of God is, what's the next word? What? It ain't dead. It's alive. And it's not on life support. It's active. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts down into the very epicenter of your life and exposes what ought to make us mourn and shows us the joy of what living for God is all about. It's a sharp, two-edged sword. It's a living book, and only a living book can make you alive. So listen with diligence, but with humility also. In verses 5 and 6 we read, Ezra opened the book, all the people could see Ezra opened the book, all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Did you see their response? They stood up. They said, Amen, Amen. They bowed down in worship. These are the activity and the postures of those who are humble. I want to read to you from Isaiah 66, verse 2. This is God speaking through the prophet. This is the voice of God. These are the ones I look on with favor. You know what he means? These are the recipients of favor. The, the same word is grace. These are the ones on whom I look with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit. And those who tremble before my word. To receive the word with eagerness but to receive it with awe as well. To think that the living God, this almighty, all-holy God, wants to talk to you and have audience and fellowship with you and show you much of his character in his word. Now we're almost done, but listen. It is true that humble eagerness frequently leads to conviction. These people were not living Godward. They're at the start of a new year. They are desperate to hear from God and to know his favor and grace. And on and on the sermons went. And they responded in verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor Ezra the priest and teacher of the law 
And the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This is a day holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't misunderstand the word of God itself and Ezra and Nehemiah and the others are not against grieving. They are not against weeping over our sin. And the word of God, living and active, had cut deep into their souls and exposed the truth about their lack of Godward living to the extent that they wept. That they wept. There are times when God will so convict you and so bring the truth about the lie of your life in some areas that it will simply be overwhelming. I have known that experience myself in recent weeks, and it ought to be more common than it is that we look into the Bible as though it were a mirror, and God by His Holy Spirit loves us so much that what we see looking back at us is the truth. Only to have the Lord come and say, but good news, weeping turns to rejoicing. God only exposes us to the awfulness of our sin that He might drench us with the joyous wonder of forgiving grace. And the preachers come and they they say, The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's the strength of forgiveness. It's the strength of reconciliation. It's the strength of new beginnings. Be joyous. And did you know the Word of God is given to make us joyous? Psalm 119, 111. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. The joy of my heart. Jeremiah understood this, and out of his own experience, and by the way, Jeremiah is called the what? The weeping prophet. He's crying all the time. He had every reason to, he was living in the days of lamentations to weep. And then Jeremiah said, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord Most High. And so the people rejoiced. I want to close by urging us to ask God to give us His Word and a deep love for His Word. You may remember the famous minister, Charles Wesley. In one of his sermons, he lifted his voice loud which was something for Wesley because he was always preaching at a high level. And he cried out before his congregation, Oh, give me that book 
And he went on to say, oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God, I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. Here then I am, far from the busy ways of man. I sit down alone, only God is here. In his presence, I open, I read this book. And he wanted that book for his congregation as well. Thank you for your patience. I've gone a bit long today. But I remember that old quote that says, the Bible is the revelation of the mind of God. Learn this book. The Bible is the revelation of the heart of God. Love this book. And the Bible is the revelation of the will of God. Live this book. As we go into a new year, let us be desperate to say, whoever stands behind this pulpit, whoever stands before us in any teaching situation, oh, give us the book. Make us to know God and to live Godward from his book. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ and for the glory of Christ, in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Speak to us from your word. Get us in the Bible with urgency and eagerness and humility. And get your will done in us and through us that Jesus gets more and more glory. We pray in your name. Amen.